Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip talks about being successful in corporate America with Shaquan Lewis. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. Back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. And today, I have a guest. I've known him for a while. I believe we met through uh, through Urban League or something early when I moved to Dallas, man. But he was he was one of the brothers that I was really impressed by in Dallas. Cause I, I was from Houston, you know, and, and, and us Houstonites come into Dallas and we think that we're smarter than everybody. And then I met I met a, a core group of smart brothers from Dallas, and I'm like, man, maybe maybe Dallas is where it's at, you know. So so my guest is uh, Shaquan Lewis. Hey, thanks for hanging out, man. And thank, thanks thanks for having me. Yeah, I think we, I think we've known each other since about probably like seven years now. Yeah. And, Somebody introduced us, but I can't remember the context. But yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it was the Urban League, or it was one of the attorneys, but it was like, I met around the same time, I met like you, Matt, uh, uh, Aaliyah, Derek, and I was like, man, Dallas got some smart, impressive people, man. I, yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to make this place this place home. But um, but today we are talking about uh, being successful in corporate America, because he, here's how I feel, right? I feel like I feel like over the last 10 years, culture has talk so much about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship it is important but like everybody um can't start a company nor should every nor should everybody start the company nor right. is starting a company should be put on the pedestal above everything else right right because you have yeah you have people like you know jamie diamond um uh uh Charles Schwab, not the broker, like the one who built Andrew Carnegie's. Still, you have all these killers that are in the corporate land that we don't really talk about how to navigate that. Because I'm, you know, like, and I'm curious because I'm not somebody who I think would have a natural instinct for being successful in corporate America. So I don't really know. And I know a lot of people, there's not a lot of stuff out there because there's, you know, people are talking about running a business or doing that. So that's that's the topic of the conversation today. But before we go into that, because when we met, you were not in corporate America. So let's talk about your origin story and how you got uh, where you are today in in the in the top levels of Young Brand. Yeah, man. Um, well, thanks for having me, and thanks for doing this. I'm a fan of the podcast, so it's it's cool to get a chance to be on it with you. Um, so I, I grew up in Fort Worth, man, and and just a you know public school kid, and went to school at Howard. And at Howard, I was studying poli sci and uh, economics. And um, I'm telling you this because even though you, I'll get to the point about being a lawyer, I had a four year stint in the business world that really made a big difference in my life. So I worked at this company called McMaster Car Supply Company. And they typically hire folks that are either burned out from banking or consulting or people right out of their MBA. And then they also hire kids into their management team uh, like me who studied liberal arts because they were like, we want to bring in this sort of intellectual tension where folks who don't really know anything about how business is supposed to work come in and look at our processes and challenge it and say, like, why are we doing things like this? Because sometimes that naivete can be a comparative advantage. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually my story. Too. So I was at that company for four years and then in the Atlanta office for two years. Then I got moved up to headquarters in Chicago for two years. And after that, I went to law school. Um, and at that point, it was going really well in the company, but I had to make a decision. If I stay on this path, 
then I wouldn't have a chance to sort of double click on that dream of being a lawyer that I had. And so I said, if I get into a particular school, I'm going to go. And I, so I got into that school. And then I, I was in school from uh, 2009 to 2012. So I came back to Dallas from Boston uh, in 2012 and started practicing at a, at a big law firm here, Baker Botts, where I was doing you know, basically business litigation. So complex stuff in the, in the, in the dispute space and left Baker Botts. So we met when I was at Baker Botts. Mm-hmm. And so I was practicing at Baker Botts for about four years. And then I went over to Pizza Hut and had a complete switch. And so, you know, I'm doing corporate litigation at Baker Botts. And at Pizza Hut, they actually hired me to, to lead the franchise part of their legal portfolio. And so, you know, Pizza Hut, we're a franchise or we're, at the time, we were probably 95 or 99, 96% franchise. And we were trying to get on the road to get a 99% franchise. And so I came in and, and ran that. And I was doing all of our equity divestitures. I was overseeing all of our M&A activity. Um, drafting new franchise agreements, doing a lot of franchise enforcement work. And so for me, that jump into the corporate, the jump back into the corporate world out of the law firm was, um, it was attached to me taking a really big risk on myself to go and take a totally different practice area and believe that I could thrive in it. And um, it worked out, man. So that, that that's how I got there. That was my end of Pizza Hut. And since, since then, I've had a couple of different interesting roles as well. Okay. And so... Before I go to this next question that I had, I, I I do have a question that came up. So, so yeah. so that was a that was a, a a big risk. So when 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 you got there, it's a like it's a it's a big organization. So right. and and let me know if I have this right. Because here's the question: You were in legal department, but you're not in legal anymore, right? At some point, you went from being legal right. to to management. Like, how did you make that transition? Yeah. So. Um, part of my thesis, Phil, going to, to Pizza Hut was if I could take a job at a franchisor that had this role that was responsible for the franchising part of the legal work, it would put me right at the heart of the business. Even though we're a pizza and food company, like we're, we're a franchisor first, right? Like that, that's what we do. And so um, that thesis actually worked out because I was right in the middle of everything. And, you know, I'm proud to say that the, the way that lawyers show up at Pizza Hut is as drivers of the business and as critical problem solvers and not, you know, people that stand in the way, but we facilitate freedom within a framework. Mm. And so in that role, Phil, I was, I was right in the middle of everything from, you know, the ways in which we got food faster to our customers, to the way that we invested more in advertising to all that sort of stuff. Like we use the law to unlock sort of the, the engine of business in that way. And so at the end of 2018, um, the company gave me an opportunity to lead the non-traditional business or Pizza Hut Express. And so I jumped again. So for me, it was another big jump. You know, I, I had not owned a PL at that point. He might have been in business for a little bit. Um, but that's about a 1500 store business that is stadiums, targets, movie theaters, college campuses, um, airports, you know, the small box format business. So I, I got a chance to run that day-to-day for a couple years and that was really interesting and challenging because you know at this point i was jumping from being a lawyer i jumped from being a litigator to a franchise lawyer to now running this critical part of our franchise or our license business as it as it is and um you know at that point i have finance and strategy and all these other things i had not done specifically reporting up to me but it was a constant learning experience and i think the Really, one of the one of the hacks for me to make that work was the problem solving skill set that I used as a Pizza Hut attorney to figure out how to 
you know, as a lawyer in my life, you get a problem set, you have to go deep in it really quickly and become really proficient in it. You don't have time to <laughs> wait four years to get good at something. You got to get good at it now because that's what the client needs. And so I use that skill set to make it work for me in business. And then at the end of, well, actually in the middle of 2020, I jumped from running that non-traditional business to my role now as the chief equity officer of the brand. You know what? I, I love that, man. Because, and even me, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, ah, light bulbs, right? Because at the end of the day, like we, we, we put labels on like entrepreneurs or, or, or corporate or even law, right? But, but ultimately, Absolutely. the people that rise to the top are the people that say, hey, here's a problem. Can I assess the problem, marshal resources towards solving the problem? Right and 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 get the job done and and you have to convince people in in both routes and martial research and you have to get people who believe in you, right? Um, and that, that's very similar, right? It don't matter if you're running a you know like Absolutely. you know like somebody might have ten clients, right? And and you have ten people or one big person you got to convince over here. So it's kind of the same thing. It's all problem solving and communication, and one of the you know I. I'm, Fortunately, in a position now to mentor a lot of younger folks. And one of the things I tell people is, you know, I think one of the big mistakes we make in law is usually, you know, you, 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 get, a, you get a summer internship, you pick, don't want to be a litigator, I don't want to do transactional work. And that's kind of the story for your career. And I think that's incredibly idiotic, the way that we approach mm. the profession. Instead, I tell people to see with themselves on a journey of collecting critical tools and developing critical skills that allow you to do three things, communicate with people really clearly, like the ability to make complex things simple for an audience, whether it's a jury, whether it's a boardroom, whether it's the consumer is a superpower. The next one is to identify problems. And the third one is to actually figure out ways to solve those problems. And in terms of marshaling resources, you're exactly right. Sometimes it's legal research. Sometimes it's uh, understanding consumer sentiment. Sometimes it's understanding what you've actually got in your war chest and how to negotiate to, you know, an optimal position. So we all need to get in the business of conceiving ourselves as bigger than what our jobs say that we are. And I've had to flex that muscle in a really big way along my journey to make myself make some sense. No. So, and, and you already answered my next question. So I'm going to skip to the next one. So I, I have always felt that you were, like unique, right? I mean, unique in a sense where like you're yourself, like you're Shaquan, you know what I'm saying? You're, you are who you are. I feel like you don't like compromise is not a, cause everybody compromises, right? Uh, to sure, some extent, yeah. but you don't like, let me flesh out what I'm saying. Some people think to be successful in corporate America, you have to kiss ass. I don't feel like you have a kiss ass bone in your body. I, I feel like, yeah. I feel like you understand people and you're real, and you're willing to challenge somebody when you need to challenge somebody. But, like, talk talk more about that and and, and yeah. what you've, you know, learned or how you flex that muscle without being like a complete like asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's a that's a that's a great question, Phil. I mean, I think, you know, when, when you were like uh, the word special, I was like, my mom thinks I'm special, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> The real, the real, the real story here, man. For me, it's been a journey to authenticity, and I think my new superpower, and it's become a privilege as well, because like people of color, especially black people and brown people, women don't always get a chance to do this. And I conceive of myself right now in this role as an executive, making space for people to show up as their authentic selves. 
But what has what has really been the case for me is I, I came to a conclusion where what I really needed to do was to walk in my highest and best use. And my highest and best use was to conceive of myself in a way that was deeply authentic for me. I think I still have it up. Like if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I call myself an interdisciplinary problem solver because I'm not just a lawyer. I'm not just a business person. I'm not just this. And I'm not just, you know, I have a whole life in politics as well. And in in, in the experiences that I've been fortunate to have in these three spaces, I ought to be able to leverage those every day against the set of problems that I come across. That stuff makes me different. It's a, it's a differentiator. And so what I've had to do is I've had to figure out how to translate sometimes what my skill set is or the way that I think into new environments. But my final analysis is about once I've done that, how have I not just made space for myself and my form? But how have I shifted the environment to make sure that other people can come in unapologetically, authentically, and change and affect who we are? So it has worked for me at Young, but the standard of success for me is who else it makes space for. Mm. And that's sort of how I can see with myself as, 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 as pressure testing the status quo, as making room for people to, to use their unique gifts to make some sense, and then not apologizing for it along the way. And I'll just tell you, you know, not everybody, some of that, there's some male privilege in that as well, candidly, right? My wife doesn't always have that, that same benefit, but for those of us who have the opportunity to flex that muscle when we do it, we can change environments to make sure that we can receive people more authentically who they are. That, that's kind of the project that I can see with myself as being on. Facts. No, I love it. I love it. So let's talk about mentorship. Did, did you have a, like, did you have a mentorship coming in? What did it look like? And you already answered the third part. You already mentor people. So really it's the first two parts of it. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about two things. Okay. There's men- mentoring and sponsoring are what's critical for me. So mentors have been absolutely important. There's, there are too many people to name probably, but there are two brothers. One is named uh, Chris Tyson. He lives in Louisiana. He's a he, he's just a phenomenal person. He's one of my frat brothers from Howard. And then a brother here in Dallas named Randy Bowman. And Randy, actually, in, in, a, in a lot of respects, he's the archetype for me. Randy was a lawyer who couldn't live in that box. And he becomes an entrepreneur and he builds a big business. But he's also a social innovator. And he likes to engineer solutions to the hard problems society faces as well. And those two brothers have been deeply critical for me. I don't make big decisions without talking to them. In many respects, I uh, I try to learn from their mistakes, which they're honest about, and I try to emulate the things that help them be successful. But most importantly, I try to really get out from them what are the principles that animate the decisions that you make. So as I make decisions or as I come across things where it's like, do I take this job? Do I approach this problem this way? How do I show up in this executive space? Um, I really leverage the insight that they've given me. So for me, mentorship has been absolutely an indispensable part of, of, of my journey. Sponsorship is critical too, though, Phil. And, and sponsorship is a thing that's really more inside of the workplace that you're in. And this is a place where uh, who are the people who get to be in the rooms that, that I'm in now, I wasn't in before. Who are the people that are in the room that other folks don't have access to? that are willing to throw a chair for you when it's time to dole out responsibility or big projects or promotions or these sorts of things. And I've had some critical sponsors along the way. One is a, is a, is a woman named Lauren Leahy, who's the chief legal officer. I came up in legal and she was really critical. Another is, is uh, Artie Stars, who's been the global CEO of Pizza. He's now going to take a new gig as the CEO of Topgolf. But these sponsors, white people, by the way, are a really critical part of my unique journey as well. And, and, those have been two folks that have challenged me to not let the place change me, 
but see what I can do to change the place. Mm. And they say that fully aware of who I am, how I am, and the ways in which I might operate in different spaces. So this concept of, of plugging mentorship into sponsorship has really been sort of like the magic sauce or juice or whatever for me that's really made a critical difference. So it's very much about, you know, the ways in which other people have shown up for me. And that's why I try to be other people centered as well with some of the other mentors that I was just talking about. And, and how'd you how'd you get those mentors to you know throw chairs for you and 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 be the go-to person for you the mentors were different than the sponsors mm-hmm. so the mentors one, one is a frat brother mm-hmm. and the other one is uh his wife went to howard and harvard like me and so i think that my that my mentorships have just been these are incredible brothers who are just like giving of themselves mm-hmm. you know with the sponsors i think there there's something similar in that, but I do think there's an exchange, candidate, right? Like, I think you have to have people who are willing to see you for what you are and, and have to think about your capacity. And at the same time, um, you got to have relationships where as they invest in you, there's a real return. And so for me, you know, um, I think I was able to really deliver on that for, for folks that I talked about in the sponsorship context, because I was getting things done on, on the substance, like the M&A work that we did, um, there's a lot of really hard deals that like I was able to get done. They put me in a position to like take it and have the ball and own the outcome. But I paid it back by getting some results that sort of outstripped what you might've expected in that space. And so I think in that sponsorship context, if folks feel like they're investing in a, you know, your, your future back, if you're investing in something that's going to generate a return, like you're going to continue to push that in that. Right. And so mm-hmm. if people can view you as like a, as a, an asset that has an aggressive growth return, then they'll be willing to push more into it. And, and what I tried to do is make sure that I didn't just come to them with asks, but I came to them with with results and outcomes and how can I help you along your way? That's the other, the other critical piece, like mm-hmm. especially in the sponsorship context. They're on their own journey as well. And so um, it's not just about how do they, how can they advance me? What can I do to push you forward as well? Like you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s. How can I help unlock opportunity for you with what I'm doing? in my role as well. So conceiving myself in a deep partnership with them, but acknowledging the unique access to corridors of power that they had, it was like a really a mutually beneficial thing that was very healthy, very natural, and, and uh, led to some good results for all of us. Now that's dope. So so here's a question you might can help me with, because you, it, yeah. it feels like we think similarly. And so you may not struggle with this, but I struggle with it because like I'm, you and I are like, go get it, solution oriented type people. And uh, because we've had some, you know, you know, relative level of success in our careers, right? Um, there's a lot of people who who want mentorship, and so my struggle is, like, I'm a giver, right? I'm just naturally a giver, uh, and 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 you are too. But what I've also had to do was um, figure out some sort of way to filter, uh, you know, who I help because I, you know, I just be helping all day long. And, and the, the the balance and the challenge, and here's where the question is: is you know, like if I meet somebody who's like a you know me and you, me who's like a me or you, right? I'm like, cool, man. I give you whatever you want, right? Because I because I because I know you get it. But if I meet somebody who doesn't have it, which is the which is a lot of people, I struggle with, you know, I struggle with how do I help that person, right? Because because naturally, like I'm like I'm not I'm not really interested. Like you wanna you wanna suck everything out of me. And you don't even yeah. do the basic stuff. So I mean, how do you know what when when you meet somebody who's not like a me or you? How do you 
give and develop to that person? Yeah, well, I think I struggle with it because, um, you know, time and energy are not really renewable resources. They're finite, right? And um, I'm predisposed to saying yes in this space, um, especially now, especially with the opportunities I've been given to, you know, the, especially the day I put a new, this new title. I was like, man, like, I'm not going to say no to anybody. And I've largely operated in that space. And I don't know that it's the most effective thing. But I'll, I'll give you two thoughts. One thought is I have evolved my thinking in terms of when someone asks me for help or someone asks me to you know, engage, I try to think about my entire network as a vast of resources to, to, to dispatch and not just like my personal time. Mm-hmm. One of this is like letting go of ego because like there are plenty of times I'm like, you know what? There's a sister that I know that would be a phenomenal coach for you and not assuming that, that I have to be the end all be all. Like I'm not, I'm not that special, even my mom thinks so. <clears throat> and so when I, when I conceive of myself as like, man, I might be able to be a really good connector for people, then I try to show up in that way. But the other piece though, man, is like, you, you, you really introduced an interesting tension with the idea of like, what if someone comes to you that doesn't seem like they might generate a huge return, right? Like, um, I, I, I actually feel like that's the space where I have to lean in more. Mm. that's where I'm like personally trying to lean in more because the big, one of the big problems of our society is like our people in particular and women and folks who anybody who's lived life on the margins, like we can name all these groups are oftentimes not viewed as the asset that they are. And as I have like equity in my title, I try to make sure that I am am cutting through the mess and trying to get to who the person is and unlocking what their full potential is. So those are the times where I actually lean in more. Mm. The more obvious case where like, man, you're going to do really well is when I'm actually more likely to be like, how could I connect you with someone that could be really great for you? But the times where it's like, it seems shakier, I actually want to lean in more. That's a conviction I feel in my life right now. Mm. And so it's that's just a personal conviction. No, I like it, man. I like it. It's, it's, it's a good word because that's, I think that's why I asked the question because I, and I like the answer because naturally is what, what I want to do. But you know, you know how you grow, and you're like, all right. But sure. is this is this is this wise, right? And you know, uh, and I like the answer because the answer hit the heart. It's like, yeah, I mean, what? That's that's life. I'm a giver, give, right? Um, so no, I like it. So back to to uh, um, to the last few questions, like sports, man. What's your favorite sport? Oh, football. It's, it's a tie, I think, between football and basketball. But because I said football first, I think I have to just live with that. Like, <laughs> I, or, love, I love so the game. College or I NFL though? College or NFL? NFL for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now for basketball, I, I greatly prefer pro basketball to college basketball though. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. I, it's it's funny. I never played football in my life, and as I got older, I like football more. But I think it's probably for time because basketball is so many games, I can't even keep up. But football, I'm like, cool. Every Sunday, I can I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah, uh, I'm only. They made, they made it. They made it difficult to love the sport. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the, the NFL in particular, with and you know my team is the Cowboys, and like all sorts of issues there. But if you just ask me the honest question, like I really do love the yeah. Dallas Cowboys. Like I can't, I can't help it. Not was notwithstanding my the way I disagree with their owner and almost everything. Yeah, yeah. At least he finally paid Dak. Man, that would have been a terrible idea not to pay Dak. You know. So. Yeah. That, that 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 was that had been a fail. Yeah, well, uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. This this actually, you know, and I'm I'm gonna say this uh, 
and 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 I might offend some previous guests, but they were all great. But this is like one of my favorite interviews. Like you brought some nuggets in a short period of time, which I thought you would, which is why I've been wanting to have you on. Um, because this was some real good stuff that it was real questions I had. And, I, and again, it's something that people aren't talking about, you know. Uh, and so thanks for sharing. Um, anything awesome. you want to leave the audience that you think is important that I didn't ask about success, mentorship, uh, c- c- career, life? Oh, he, I'm sorry. Before, before you answer that, he, here's one, a question I skipped. Um, balance, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like work-life balance because you you have a family. Both of y'all are achievers. Um, you know, how do y'all maintain some symbol? And I know balance is an illusion, but you know what I'm trying to say. How do y'all operate yeah. in harmony? Uh, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. I, I can tell you that I feel a, kind of back to the conviction point before. I feel a conviction as a husband and a father to make sure that i that I orient myself around that first because it's very easy for me to lose myself in work. And I think we live in a society that is like more likely to praise me for that than for being Whitney's husband or being Carter and Claire's dad. And so as I orient like my value set, I try to think about that first because I know that the other stuff can swallow up. The other piece that's critical though, is that, um, I mean, truthfully, I meditate on the concept every day of the fact that I, I'm married to a woman that is my equal in every way that is uh, superior to me in some respects, if we're being honest in that it's, it is as, it is as important that my son and my daughter see me support her and stand behind her and and try to put air in her wings as it is that this goes well for me personally. So as I, as I try to show up and like really put her first in this respect, I think it necessarily leads to some balance because you know, a sister's gonna naturally put everybody else first as well. Uh, so as I try to think uh, about mm-hmm. that, that's where we have some balance. On the, on the pure personal level, though, it's just extraordinarily it's extraordinarily difficult. Um, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that I'm succeeding at it by any stretch. I, I would just say I'm trying like hell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's why I call it an illusion. I'm like I don't I don't think we ever get it, but I'll you know try to always try every day. Try to be better than yesterday. Absolutely. Appreciate your brother coming on. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this, man. I, like I said, I'm a fan of it, and uh, you're doing really good stuff, so keep it up. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock base or equity-based compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time, and the decision-making process around what you do with your stock-based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or, or even a negative way, way over the long term. And so what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock-based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no-cost no obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested to sign up for a time. Go to my website, StonehillWealthManagement.com and book a free investment, no cost, no obligation review. StonehillWealthManagement.com. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. 
For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.